Hello everyone, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to the fourth episode of Pull Up a Chair, a series dedicated to holding space for conversations about broader themes and topics related to food and people. My name is Chris Rodriguez, and today we will be discussing culinary culture and mental health with Chef Nephi Craig. During today's conversation, we will be welcoming back Chef Craig to share his journey through mental health, sobriety, and recovery. Chef Craig recently stated to me that the pandemic has presented a strike while the iron is hot opportunity to abandon old toxic culinary culture and practices and build new work environments that promote work-life balance, self-care, and nutritional recovery. We will do our best to lay out a broad scope that will zoom in and out on these themes while allowing time for you, our audience, to engage us with questions and comments toward the latter part of our discussion. Before I continue with our introductions, I'd like to share, I would like to offer my sincerest gratitude for the entire Ruby team and their critical work going into this platform. Pull up a chair. Uh, I'd also like to share a little bit about me, and um, and also um, we're having a little bit of a uh, delay getting Nephi on. So in the case that he doesn't join join in right away, I'll go ahead and get our conversation started um, into the topic, and hopefully we'll have him uh, jump on as soon as he can. In the meantime, I would like to share that I grew up in Los Angeles, in between Los Angeles and Baja, California with ancestral roots in the Iberian Peninsula and across central Mexico. I'm a descendant of classically trained chefs and about 20 year veteran of modern French, uh, modern French kitchen brigades. I have a bachelor's of arts in gender, ethnic and multicultural studies and a bachelor of science in hospitality management from California State Polytechnic University in Pomona. And um, I'd like to share a little bit about Chef Craig Chef Craig has 24 years of culinary experience in America and around the world in London, Germany, Brazil, and Japan. Nephi is an enrolled member of the White Mountain Apache tribe and his Navajo and is half Navajo. Chef Craig is also the founder of the Native American Culinary Association or NACA and an organization network that is dedicated to the research, refinement, and development of Native American cuisine. Chef Craig provides training, workshops, and lecture sessions on Native American cuisine for health to schools, restaurants, universities, treatment centers, behavioral health agencies, and tribal entities from across America and abroad. Chef Craig serves, served as executive chef of the Sunrise Park Resort Hotel. During Chef Craig's nine-year tenure at Sunrise Park Resort, Craig and his White Mountain Apache culinary team achieved many national and international benchmarks in establishing a culture of indigenous food across North America. So it looks like we're getting Nephi on in just a few minutes uh, while he gets uh, going. I would like to open up our discussion today referencing some recent articles that have um, kind of created a lot of attention on something that is not very new in the culinary world. And that is the um, the intensity, um, to put it lightly, of the 
culinary kitchen environments across uh, the U.S., across the world. Um, these articles, uh, the most recent titled Fine Dining Faces Its Darkest Truths in Copenhagen by the Financial Times, outlines and documents uh, the working conditions of apprentices and cooks in some of the world's finest restaurants today. And I would just like to note that although this article has gained a lot of attention and opened up a lot of eyes to what's happening uh, in kitchens, I would like to stress that uh, this is nothing new. And in terms of uh, journalistic coverage, uh, there's, or actually um, just coverage in general, there's a book by Sarud Jayaraman uh, titled Behind the Kitchen Door. And this came out in, I believe, 2013. And this book documents also the conditions, uh, the working conditions in kitchens in the U.S. Um, from the perspective of migrant, people of color, LGBTQ, and women. So it outlines uh, the, the different issues that face gender, race, um, citizenship uh, in the working, of the working class in, in kitchens. And so, um, so this work has been done before. We have known about and also from personal experience that uh, Nephi and I will be um, sharing collectively. We have about 40 years of experience to kind of reflect on and go back. Um, so we have a lot to share and reflect on. Um, and we just wanted to kind of um, frame our discussion today with um, past and current uh, documentation of what's been going on and. And really, um, we want to also go into the, the history of the culinary culture of modern kitchens and um, kind of dig into how, how, do we, um, how do we come to this point of, um, working, of these working conditions and um, that have been normalized for so long. And so um, that is sort of the outline also this event on the Ruby's um, website, there's an event page. And at the bottom of the page, you can find a link to a document that has these uh, links to these, uh, to these articles and some media, um, other references that we'll be touching on in our discussion today that will be available for you to download and have access um, during our conversation and afterwards. Okay, in just a few seconds while we get Nephi plugged in here. Um, also, I would like to say that um, Nephi was featured in um, Gather, the film, which won uh, an award by this year from the James Beard Foundation. Uh, and it, it covers uh, different chefs from across uh, the U.S., native chefs and food workers. And his actual restaurant that just opened this year, Cafe Gojo, um, was in the developmental stages um, during the making of this film. And now they're in full swing operation, um, which is um, where Nephi is taking his, um, his um, some time for us today to, to talk with us. And so I want to, you know, say, uh, give much thanks to Nephi for, uh, giving us his time to uh, join us today. All right, welcome, 
Welcome, Chef. Yeah, thank you for having me. So we just, uh, I just kind of laid out an introduction and went into um, mentioning um, about your work, about um, how uh, we've been collectively between you and I have about 40 years experience to touch on uh, culinary culture, um, how it's been for us while working in kitchens. Also, um, you know, we can, um, I mentioned about the Financial Times article that uh, we've been uh, re uh, reflecting on uh, that just came out uh, last week. And also um, some more historical references about the roots, uh, the history of uh, modern culinary kitchen brigades. Um, how is it that we came to where we're at today? Why are we talking about this? Um, but first, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing a little bit about yourself, um, how did you get into kind of, um, how'd you get into cooking and how did you gain this critical perspective of um, culinary culture and mental health? And again, thank you um, for taking time to join us today. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I appreciate you all. Um, those that are in attendance and those that have taken the time to be with us today. Uh, my apologies for being a few minutes behind, but um, we're, we're here in full production in the in Café Gaujon. Uh, my name is Nephi Craig. I've been cooking professionally about 24 years. Uh, it's a journey that I could not have scripted or anticipated some of the uh, uh, obstacles and challenges I've been able to encounter. Uh, I think what has shaped and molded my perspective on some of the themes we'll talk about today is really just lived experience. Uh, um, I've been able, I've been fortunate to get some solid training in my youth as a younger chef. And um, my, my, my basic desire to do something with my ancestral foodways from the White Mountain Apache tribe and from the Navajo Nation. Uh, you see, I grew up on both reservations in uh, Arizona and part of New Mexico. And being around food was just, um, just natural. Uh, some of my families would grow corn. So my grandfather grew a garden and it was just to supplement the table because we grew up in poverty. We grew up poor. And uh, you just kind of grew up thinking that that it was normal to grow and share food and to cook and to celebrate it in a cultural way. Um, I don't think I realized that when I entered into culinary school, I had a um, I had a supplemental anthropological culinary education as a member of the BIPOC community. As, a, as an indigenous person, um, I had grow, grown up with food, with a, being exposed to my parents' paradigm on food, my grandparents and other elders, and just tribal members. Um, how we perceive food was very, very different uh, from what I was being taught in school. So um, early on in school, I would ask my culinary instructors, uh, as a young 18-year-old, impressionable kid that was curious about professional cooking, I'd ask, uh, hey, chef, is there such thing as a Native American cuisine? And, you know, here I am, this 18-year-old kid looking for validation. Here I grew up around Native foods and the language and the culture. And, you know, uh, I was met with a response like, well, I know you cook fry bread. I know your people boil a lot of stews. And that to me, the tone or the messaging I got from that encounter was very dismissive. 
And um, when I asked the chef, I was like, do you like do you like fry bread or do you like some of the foods? He just kind of shook his head and made a cringing face. He's like, nah. He's like, and so to me, that irritated me. Uh, I didn't say anything. I just kind of I got the message loud and clear. And so but um, that became kind of a seed. Um, it became a seed like, why is it that way? So I just decided that um, I'm going to stick with this long enough and I'm going to be go on the journey to learn how to do something with native food someday. And so um, along the journey, it's um, I think looking back over the course of 24 years, the one of the most important, powerful things that I've got from all of this, that um, I guess the root causes of the themes we'll talk about has been trying to follow themes of health and themes of justice and themes of uh, um, cultural revitalization through the foods. And so I, I'm, I, uh, by following the foods, it brought me to the doorstep of decolonization. It brought me to the threshold of indigeneity. Um, by following foods, it brought me to historical trauma and the true history of the United States. Um, by following foods, I would encounter cultural genocide and ethnogenocide of people, land, and waters across the entire planet. Um, so food has been very powerful. And, you know, just growing up on the res and doing what I do and being lucky to work in some really great kitchens, encountering racism, uh, prejudice, injustice, and, you know, in my own journey, it, it, it includes substance abuse and addiction. So um, I'm, I'm in recovery, 11 years clean. And so a lot of what I talk about is lived experience. And I'm still in this pursuit of understanding. I'm still very much at the beginning. So, um, but I've kind of come full circle. I'm back in the town where I was born, cooking with uh, White Mount Apaches. We got Apache chefs. Uh, I think where we, you know, I humbly and with, with enthusiasm say that we're probably first generation Apache trained Apache chefs. So it's uh, pretty cool. That's kind of us in a nutshell. That's impressive. I mean, and inspirational. You, congratulations, first of all, on your 11 years of sobriety and also on hitting that benchmark that you just shared right now of um, first generation Apache trained Apache chefs. Um, that uh, is really a shift in um, kind of the pattern of um, culinary training, I think, and education. How, how food is taught, uh, would like to be able to touch on that um, a little bit later, what, what that training has looked like um, for, your, for your staff and for yourself. Um, but before we move um, to that direction, I would like to ask um, or get into a little bit about what, um, what you think some of the some of the structural or historical roots of modern culinary culture are. We previously discussed the Financial Times article, um, Fine Dining Faces Its Truths, Its Dark Truths in Copenhagen. Uh, Copenhagen being the culinary hub of, of you know, the best of the best uh, culinary trends and um, uh, Mecca has been named a Mecca uh, in the culinary world for up-and-coming cooks and chefs. Yet this uh, article has 
brought to light um, what many of us have been already have lived through and experienced here in the U.S. and in other parts of the world. Um, and so what, you know, I guess, you know, what are some of those, what are, what are some of the practices, you know, you, you mentioned, you touched on a little bit of it, the racism, the injustices, uh, harassment, um, where does this come from? Um, would you say if we can point to a, a starting point, how did this become normalized? Because for us, it was just something that we just kind of went through and put your head down. We chef, yes, chef, um, keep going, you know, blinders on. But um, what would you say is the root of, of this sort of dynamic um, and how and how the industry has been tolerating it for all these years? Uh, I think any young person that gets into cooking um, is naturally has an interest in the history of food and cooking. Uh, I know certainly for myself, when I was in culinary school, I wanted to really understand the history of this field that I was getting into. And in 1998, when I was in a culinary program, um, uh, you know, for, I like to say that I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm trained. Um, I'm, I'm proud of having a, a lot of French classical roots in my, in my uh, background. Um, and so I think that interest in understanding the language, the kitchen language around the world as being fundamentally and classically French, um, that's important. And also, um, aside from all of the prestige and long legacy and history associated with the classical brigade system and the classical training, I think we also have to understand the cultural violence that has um, come with uh, classical training. And I think, um, you know, as we all, as some of us know in our careers, um, when we study people like uh, um, Escoffier, Ferdinand Poin, um, the classical French uh, um, family tree of chefs and how they've extended across the globe, I think one thing that we talk about lightly in some situations is the culture of violence, but um, we rarely kind of get too deep into it. Um, I think when we when we when we read that article that you were talking about, Chef Chris, uh, it it does bring to light what we've lived with all our careers. Um, I do think that uh, when we try to understand and uh, shape and mold our own kitchens, we can make an impact on the next few generations. Uh, I think for a long time, when especially when I was uh, a younger cook. Um, everybody that I worked for or worked with would always say, you, you need to go to France to get some training. Uh, you need to stage in Germany. You need to go to Lyon. Um, you need to go visit the, the classical masters. And so that created an air of mystique and mystery around it. And so as America has matured in a culinary sense, we've, uh, that's no longer true. We no longer need to travel to France and uh, Europe to get classical training. Um, we've we've grown as a country in America, and I think with that evolution of our gastronomic legacy, we have the ability to make some changes. And across the board, um, I think especially during and um, um, as we've been managing COVID, it's really brought to so many cultural phenomenon that uh, need to change from um, Black Lives Matter to uh, themes of police brutality to um, 
land back movements to um, a number of different themes that um, are related to our mental health and our public health. And we're, we're not isolated from that. Um, younger chefs are understanding that they have a right to speak on these themes of violence and um, um, mistreatment. Uh, it, it is definitely time to, to speak up and change some of these themes. So I think when we look at this, this history, uh, a lot of it does come from necessity. Um, and it does cause us to ask the question, is it necessary to, to go to that length? Is it necessary to have a team of 45, 50 people to produce 30, 30, uh, to do 30 covers a night with a tasting menu? Um, so there's a lot of different, uh, uh, I guess, tentacles to this monster, you could say. Um, but I definitely think it's uh, kind of rooted in imperialism. It's rooted in colonialism and it's rooted in American sensationalism across the board because as America wants to mature as a country, they want to mimic uh, sophisticated cultures and powerful cultures around the world as they're growing into their own. And so I think it's no different in cuisine. So the, there's a number of things, a number of different directions we could go with that question, but that's what, I, that's what comes to mind. Right, and would you say um, in terms of the classical culinary schools um, sort of now now things have changed a lot you you've mentioned um black lives matter land back movements um and so these different themes that are actually seeping into kitchen um kitchen culture and dialogue and and you know kind of what's being talked about behind the line um in the prep kitchens um you know the, these you know amongst chefs um we're kind of breaking out of these boxes that we've been put into uh, when we were talking earlier in the week, you mentioned um, it's like, you know, we're cooking in a bento box or, or we're learning. Uh, we've been trained in, you know, compartmentalized and actually our, our previous guest, our previous pull up a chair, uh, Professor Enrique Ochoa also talks about in education, how everything really in life, in the society, we're compartmentalized, we're all separated, you know, and so so we see also in this conversation and in our experience, um, being ho more holistic in our profession, in our cooking, and so um, culinary education plays a big role in this, um, also like bringing in these important themes, which is you know the the foundation of this series pull up a chairs to be able to talk about these different topics um i think that the the culinary structure is no different you know it's been taught like this is the way it's the only way but now we're seeing you know a shift away from that um how in your experience um what are some tools that you've been using to break away from this, you know, the norm, the status quo of the modern kitchen brigade and and kitchen practices in your own, in your own kitchen at uh, Cafe Gojo, and also congratulations on the, on Gather Films, uh, James Beard Award, um, which features uh, your cafe, the, the restaurant where you're sitting in right now. Um, how are you um, and your team um, putting into practice? Uh, different ways of, of cooking and and operating. Uh, 
I think uh, one of the first questions I heard was, or one of the themes that came is like how social justice issues are entering kitchen dialogue. Uh, I think it's very important, uh, especially in North America and the United States to for, for chefs and operators and decision makers to understand that the, the demographics of our population are changing. Uh, in the American Southwest, um, minorities or BIPOC community, we're gonna be the majority by 2030. Uh, across the United States, we're gonna be the majority by 2050. And this is gonna cause a change and we're feeling it right now, not just because of COVID, but because in, in light of uh, uh, health needs, dietary needs, educational needs, as the population continues to change and people begin to uh, realize that the structures we've been living under are damaging and hurtful, they're, they're, it's going to have to enter into kitchens. Um, we deal with the, the you know, the, the, one of the fundamental human rights of life is food and water. And so naturally, we do have to have these conversations and talk about and address public health, because um, I think it's like uh, the late Anthony Bourdain would say, you know, he knows and understands full well that the backbone of his kitchen was not a bunch of uh, non-native guys hanging out in the kitchen. It was Ecuadorians, Peruvians, El Salvador, Salvadorians, um, people from Mexico, people from the BIPOC community. And so I don't think that's going to change. And uh, so these questions definitely need to we need to continue to ask them. Um, I'm fortunate in my path that uh, I decided to get clean and put away the um, the drugs and the alcohol and the culture of debauchery that kind of uh, pervades our 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 industry. Um, it's still there, uh, just not really a part of it as so much. I still love and. Um, appreciate the kitchen dynamics and the structure and the discipline of everything that we do. Um, because of my own journey with sobriety and entering into that, my style of cooking and my, myself as an individual, I've evolved into a clinician. The place where I'm at at um, um, Café Gaujon is where we deal with drugs and alcohol treatment. So I've kind of had to understand and study um, in order to save my own life from addiction and dependency, um, but also to communicate how vocational training uh, is a part of an individual support system when they're in recovery. And I want to stress that recovery is not just about drugs and alcohol. That is the the last element of some of you know somebody's issue. There's recovery from incarceration. There's recovery from uh, diabetes, there's recovery from a health disorder, there's recovery from a number of different things, including loss. Um, I think we all know in our journeys as chefs, the young, talented um, men and women that burned out before their time. I think we overlooked their uh, emotional and mental struggles as being weak, as not being able to hang. Um, we, we could recognize their pain and struggle, but because the majority of our kitchen culture would shun that, we just stood back and watched them meet their demise or change fields. And I definitely think that needs to change. I, I can, as I talk about this, I can think of um, a couple handfuls of uh, chefs and cooks in my personal life that are no longer cooking and some that have passed on. And so I think it is a critical issue because we are a human driven operation in all of our 
uh, restaurants and, and organizations. And uh, we really need to take care of ourselves so we can take care of others. And the culture of violence and, you know, shaming and um, racism really needs to be changed. Thank you for mentioning the um, some that that um, tendency to kind of dismiss and overlook the the challenges, the personal challenges that um, pro, you know professionals or, or workers face that we have kind of forced to push aside and get through the day or show up to work. Um, you know, working while sick. Um, you mentioned. Um, also in our previous conversations about Bourdain's quote, um, grandma died, bury her on your day off um, type of mentality, right? And so there's uh, quite a long list of, of challenges that get in the way of um, making these shifts in our culture. So um, since you're since you're actually bridging um, one of the major ones, and that's um, mental health and recovery, um, what other challenges do you see um, more broadly outside of your ex outside of what you're doing that perhaps other um, chefs or organizations, restaurants should start to look at um, to help encourage uh, the, you know more of a work-life balance, um, self-care, you know, an environment that will promote a, a, our profession or our careers with longevity and health. Um, what other examples could you share or provide, Chef um, Nephi? I think it's a very difficult one uh, because um, those of us that are, uh, you know, old dogs and the older dogs, <laughs> we're going to be real hesitant to change some of this because of our egos. And I think um, if we continue to bring young chefs into our kitchen and train them in, a, in the way we were trained, um, the way we were uh, shamed into discipline, the way we were shamed into organization, the way we, were, we worked under uh, threatening pressure, um, the legacy is just going to continue. Uh, so I think both uh, young professionals entering the field um, should speak up more on how to create this. I think it's going to be a long journey forward in terms of changing um, some of these structures. Uh, I think finding the right organization to work for is important to be able to uh, um, be in an environment that gets it. Uh, because remember, some of us as chefs, this is all we've ever done in our lives. We've never really seen ourselves doing anything else. We may not have even known there were other options. Um, I entered professional kitchens in 1998, and I felt like for the past, um, for the past, I think maybe 20 something years, I felt like kind of like a, like a, a racehorse with my blinders on, just constantly working towards developing my skills and never really taking the time to understand that there were other branches in this food, um, food sovereignty or public health tree that we are in. Um, never really understood that I didn't have to cook for a living. Um, but I think the sense of desperation that comes with doing our jobs well sometimes propels us to continue to work harder and harder and harder. So I think when we're able to take a moment and understand that we do have options as professionals, that's really important. 
that um, mental health is an important part of what we do. I think so much of the culinary industry as being one of the many fields that's male dominated is definitely um, impacted by the sense of machismo or toxic masculinity that enters it. Um, very much like a, like a construction um, field um, where you got to keep up, you know, make or break attitudes. I think because we are such a, like again, a human driven um, industry, we, we definitely should start taking a better look or a closer look at the mental and emotional health of our staff, especially now because we're struggling to get um, staff in kitchens uh, more and more so. I think during the pandemic, a lot of people woke up and realized that they have options, that their skills they learned in the kitchen can be applied to other professions. And not, some people have not returned. So now what, who is left in the field and that will be entering a field, our field, it's, a, it's an opportune time to begin the small changes. And those changes begin with us as practitioners that are mentors and that are students. Um, so that's kind of, I hope that answers your question, Joe. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also, I think it's good, worth mentioning one of the articles that we included in the event uh, document uh, for our audience to take a look at is uh, a letter to stagiaires uh, that you sent over to me, which, you know, goes deeper into what you're um, kind of leading us towards is, you know, self-advocation, um, self-advocating uh, for young professionals entering the field. Like now that we are in this shortage and there is this, um, you know, this, this broader awareness of uh, what it means to be an essential worker. Um, what, you know, this pandemic has kind of um, lifted the veil on um, the value that essential workers have um, in, you know, the global economy. And, and so that gives us um, uh, something to also uh, pass on to, um, you know, newer, the newer generation of cooks entering the field that they have uh, agency to advocate for uh, the experience of what they deserve, you know, as stagiaires going into a work environment. Um, so I know that you um, have experience in in being a stagiaire and also uh, setting up stage, stages um, for as an advocate, as a mentor for other cooks. So um, would you mind touching on that um, particular example a little bit of, of what that would look like or just uh, if you could comment on that article that letter uh i really appreciated that uh that piece that i got it was in the new world or new world or um nicholas gill is the one who uh who writes for that and uh, um, uh that um that online magazine um but being a stagiaire and just being an individual i guess it's really just assessing your rights um, I think we just kind of blindly accept um, these long-term stagiaire programs to where we're unpaid. Um, both of these articles that we're kind of referencing now talk about the hours and hours of just picking herbs or doing something you know, very mundane and these uh, organizations getting um, free labor out of it, basically. And it's just something, a couple of words to put on your resume. 
Um, I think those um, uh, those instances are very unfortunate and they should not happen. Um, but it's hard to say where you will replace when you're a stage year. Um, I do think being a stage year or going doing, doing a stage is, is vitally important, not only because it helps you to see what's possible, but it's a it's a form of culinary education that is multi-sensory and um, you really really need to be able to see what other cooks and chefs are doing in their kitchens and when you do have the opportunity to stage and when when i have the opportunity to stage see i'm i'm 42 years old and i still i want to stage and i have a list of places i want to go and return because i'm not done learning i'm still a student and um when you do go to stage or when i go to stage i'm not just looking at the food um i'm not just looking at flavors I'm listening when I'm staging. What are the cooks talking about? What is the chefs talking about? What is the energy in the in the kitchen like? Um, what does the walk-in look like? Are the floors clean? Are the floor drains clean? How clean is the hood? Um, what's the attitude and the demeanor of people that are working with me? Do they see me as being a, a valuable person? Uh, well, I'm there for a small period of time, or am I just there as a workhorse to get things done? Are they feeding me? Are they, you know, allowing me to take a break? Do I get a negative attitude if I ask to take a phone call or to take a break? You know what I mean? Those are all very important elements of a stage. And I think us as cooks, we're hypersensitive naturally because we deal with so many dynamics. Um, but I definitely think um, look, taking a look at this, this tradition of stage years and um, being critical of where you select to go if you're going to do it, um, I think it's it's very valuable because we get to see how other operators are doing things and we get to pick and choose what we want to take um, and leave behind when we leave those places. Um, so I, I, I hope that answers your question, Chuck. Definitely, definitely does. Thank you. Well, I think it's a good time to shift uh, to some of the questions in our chat. Uh, coming through, um, some of them you've already you've already responded to, so I'll I'll skip over those. But I think I would like to first read off a comment to reinforce what I've been hearing a lot lately. Um, working in different kitchens, um, I I as you know I work across different kitchens um, uh, throughout LA and. And I have I run into people that I worked with for 15, 20 years ago. It's, it's really amazing. It's such a small world. But what I'm hearing a lot lately sounds a lot like what uh, Joe here in our um, comments shared. And Joe says, it took me nine years to shed the instilled culture of work, work, work at all costs. I now living my life and in a much better way place physically, mentally, and spiritually. I am enjoying life. I am so happy to see the industry start to change in a positive way. So uh, I think um, it might be safe to assume that maybe perhaps it was a pandemic that um, created a shift, um, kind of makes us, has forced us to sit down and um, look at our work-life balance. And I think this is something that I've um, a lot of people, not just in our profession, but in many other professions, are are realizing 
And so I just wanted to uh, echo Joe um, and thank you for that comment. Um, he, and um, also I would like to, somebody's asking what state is your restaurant? Um, if you want to if you want to respond um, to Patricia, who's asking where your restaurant is located. Yeah, okay. Um, well, uh, I'm coming to you from the White Mountain Apache tribe in northeastern Arizona. Um, we operate a small cafe called Cafe Gojon. And Gojon is an Apache word that means balance, love, laughter, harmony, joy, all kinds of different things and a lot of different uses. Uh, cafe Gojon is a, a small 32 seat um, cafe. Uh, we do uh, Western Apache cooking and cuisine, and we try to expand food vocabulary in our community. We are on the White Mountain Apache Reservation and about three and a half hours northeast of Phoenix. Uh, so we're, we're, we're way out there. I kind of, uh, I kind of uh, think about those old school French books that um, would say if you want to get, you know, regional classical French cooking, you have to go out to the countryside in Lyon or north of France, south of France. Uh, kind of feel like we're, in a way, making that happen too. If you want to get some real Apache style foods and see a real Apache team, you got to, you know, get three, three and a half, four hours away from the city and way out in the boonies and the mountains on the res. So that's where we're at. Thank you, Chef. So I'm reading here. Uh, one on culinary education from Annette, who shares, culinary education also has a role. We can change the current culture by educating chefs on what is not acceptable. In our culinary program at TU Dublin, we teach this in the Mindful Kitchen compulsory module for all first year students. And uh, Annette dropped a link on uh, YouTube on the, on the module uh, in the comments. Um, thank you, Annette. And um, Char says, in Philly, there is a vegan restaurant that serves zero proof. All, all team members must be working an active recovery program in order to be employed. The restaurant was born out of the isolation of COVID, and it is called Voisted. Sorry, Volstead. V O L S T E A D. Thank you, Char, for sharing that. Uh, Barbara shares I suffer from mental health. My question is how do you maneuver through the distractions to get what you need done? I have two certificates in guest services and two in food. Sorry, uh, moved around a little bit. That haven't been used yet due to too many distractions. Plus, my sobriety is an issue. Is there anything that you could respond to, Barbara, on that? Uh, I, this kind of uh, makes me think of one of uh, Chef Chris's questions, and when we uh, the analogy we used about uh, a bento box. Um, mm -hmm. We when we first got into cooking years ago everything was compartmentalized. It was like, you're going to be a chef. It's, you know, fine dining, hotels, industry-wide, these kind of different things. But no one really shared with us that there's a realm of different applications for foods. 
Um, food is science, food is language, food is health, food is culture, food is history, uh, food is mental health. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that I think those uh, certificates you have could be applicable. Uh, it's just, I think um, if you're working in a, in a restaurant right now, it might be too fast paced to acknowledge some of them. Um, but maybe think of considering if you've got the lived experience of sobriety and dealing with um, uh, managing mental health, um, those are very, very valuable assets. Um, there's uh, in, in recovery circles and therapeutic circles, we always say experience is the, is the best teacher and trust your struggle. So I think um, take a look around and see what possibilities. I mean, in, in light of what your goals might be, if you want to stay, you know, fine dining focused or you want to um, uh, continue on the path you're on, uh, sometimes our paths change and we don't know when they're going to change. Um, sometimes we make those decisions or sometimes life makes those decisions for us. Um, but I personally think you have really valuable um, um, assets there with your certificates and your lived experience. I think maybe find an, an environment that will be conducive to utilizing those things. Uh, and don't worry about the stigma that might come with mental health, because when you get into environment with a mental health organization or agency, say a treatment center, a behavioral health a center, um, any any place that uh, values recovery and uh, intellectual um, and personal health, um, those those assets will be recognized, and you, you'll probably have to get really creative. Um, you know, stretch your writing muscles and articulate how food and your lived experience um, can create something powerful with those certificates you have and your, your experience to date. That, that's what I think of when you ask those questions. Oh, very valuable uh, response and direction that you provided to Barbara. Thank you. And anybody else who um, you know, might see themselves in that similar situation. Uh, thank you, Chef. One more question here. Um, and then after this, if you'd like to, after your response, if you can respond to this, um, feel free to just uh, mention any last remarks or comments and we can bring it to a wrap because um, I know you, I know you got to get going. Um, Thank you again for your for your time and all of your valuable gems that you're uh, providing here with us today. So, uh, Tamara asks, are children on the reservation educated with respect to social injustice, culture, and food? If so, what does that instruction look like? I think this is a great question because uh, it's an intergenerational um, question, right? Um, we can't forget about the youth and, and how we're bringing in um, the future of our of our people, of, um, of those who, you know, are also affected by uh, our work environment and, and, you know, just this, um, what we're talking about today. So if you could respond to that. Yeah, th thank you for that question. Um, I think um, growing up on the res is very difficult. Uh, I think themes of injustice and oppression are magnified. And to us, it feels normal. It's not until you step outside of the environment 
and you have access to education or you have access to care, you have access to peace, that you realize how tough it is coming from a marginalized group like the BIPOC community. And I think this makes this really makes me think of um, stressing today as we wrap up that um, chefs and practitioners really take a look, a deep dive from an indigenous um, point of view, the theme of historical trauma. Because America as a culture, as a world power, was founded on a culture of violence. And when we were when we opened up and we we're talking about that, it's not just because we're nitpicking, we got a bone to pick or an axe to grind. Yeah, those might be true, but the true historical fact of how we've evolved as a country in North America and how kitchens have evolved globally, it does include these themes. If as chefs, if we're truly gonna understand how we can make an impact in public health, in epidemiology, in nutrition, and in cultural revitalization, we really have to be sensitive to these themes of recovery. Uh, because if we're gonna um, continue to shift our kitchens and um, meet people where they're at, that's one of my favorite uh, themes is because not all people have the opportunity to have these discussions. Some of us are so busy living under oppression, living in poverty, some of us are so busy um, just surviving, living paycheck to paycheck, that we don't have the time or the luxury to have intellectual conversations. We don't have the time or the um, ability to sit and talk about food security or where we are in the food chain or the supply chain. Uh, we're just we're just you know kind of living in survival mode. So I think. Um, when you take a real strong look at cuisines of the world, you're going to see indigenous cultivars as a foundational part of that, not just in the United States. Uh, for me, as as a, as a native, as an indigenous Native American chef, I always tell people that the foundational terroir of all contemporary American cooking is Native American cuisine, is indigenous landscapes. Um, so you can't continue to misappropriate or continue this, um, keep feeding this monster that is colonialism and pretending that these histories are not there. Um, these histories are the reasons we're having these conversations now. These histories are the reason we see Black Lives Matter, um, we're talking about police brutality, talking about cultures of violence, um, talking about uh, public health. Um, it's because the truth is coming to light. And so um, uh, I want to stress that those themes are true. These when we have when you're in these conversations and uh, it feels uncomfortable, really take a, a moment to ask yourself, why am I feeling uncomfortable? Uh, when we talk about themes of public health, racism, discrimination, prejudice, um, uh, toxic masculinity, if we're feeling very uncomfortable with it, it's because we're not wanting to address it. We refuse to change. We might be complacent to cultures of violence. Um, so uh, it's 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 a deep dive. If we're gonna if we're gonna take the first step as individual practitioners, whether we're 18 years old just starting out in school, or we're in our 40s, 50s, or 60s, and we've been doing this all our lives, it is never too late to enter into recovery. And there is one tool that comes to mind that um, 
um, you could probably take a look at as a practitioner. Um, there's a there's a study that was done um, years ago, and uh, um, it, it's uh, it's called the uh, the ACE study, or it's uh, ACEs adverse childhood experiences. And this study was done over the course of like almost 30 years, and it kind of looked at um, the upbringing of uh, a wide range of young people from, from uh, one years old all the way to 18 years old. And this is a tool, a predictor in mental health for um, health disparities like smoking, addiction, incarceration, cancer, diabetes, obesity, heart disease. Um, so you can go online and there's a, there's a multitude of resources to learn about ACEs and you can know your ACE score. And, um, you know, it's a very useful tool. None of this is to blame anyone. It's just to put the facts on the table and sort it out like your mise en place so you can move forward. Um, it's kind of like, you know, for me, it's been a great tool to, to work out my mental, emotional mise en place. Um, so um, in having these conversations, take, take a look and expand the, expand the paradigm. Um, include themes of justice and reclamation. And, um, um, you know, it, it's, it's a worthwhile journey. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm very much very proud to be a chef. I, I love this. I've gotten into it. I still honor and respect some of the core themes of my early training as a young chef. Um, I, but I'm excited to be a part of this generation that is making some changes emotionally, intellectually, uh, with the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in mind. So um, that's kind of what I have to, have to say. Uh, oh, and um, one other thing, uh, if, if some of the themes that Chef Chris and I are talking about today um, are interesting and you, you want to take a deeper look at some of the themes of historical trauma, um, go and watch the film Gather. It, it won a James Beard Award. It's on Netflix. We had no idea it would reach that far, but it's a very human story and um, it's a microcosm. Those of us that are in that film, there's... This struggle is is global. Indigenous communities, communities of poverty, marginalized groups, we're all in this same struggle to situate ourselves and our perspectives in a larger narrative of cuisine and cooking, because food is life. So that's what I have to say. Chef Nephi, thank you so much for your time coming to us from Cafe Gojo on the beautiful White Mountain Apache Tribe okay. Reservation. Say hello to everyone out there for, for us. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, and yes, uh, that is a great note to end on. I definitely encourage you all to watch Gather. And if you um, really wanna taste uh, what we've been talking about today, um, Take a, take a trip down to, um, or up, depending where you're at, across to Cafe Gojo. Um, and yeah, see for yourself um, how, you know, these different kitchens are creating new ways of cooking, new ways of uh, managing, and new ways of training. And that'll do it for us for today. Um, I want to thank again all of the Ruby staff and team putting together pull up a chair um, stay tuned to our next series follow us on instagram and you can subscribe to the youtube channel also 
on the events page for our live events, you can see all of our different live events that we have uh, at Ruby Online Culinary School, and especially the ones um, that this series has um, coming up for Pull Up a Chair. Again, thank you very much. I'm Chris Rodriguez. I look forward to seeing you all again soon.